Organic Aromas is dedicated to the developing and promoting the most effective, safest, and most beautiful aromatherapy diffusers. Their unique and powerful diffusers are quiet and they require no heat and no water. You just add your essential oils and turn it on. Their diffusers are made of high quality recycled wood and hand blown glass and contain no plastic. Organic Aromas offers hand carved diffusers and recently began custom laser engraving as well, making it the perfect gift. They also have a complete line of pure essential oils, essential oil blends, and roll-on aromatherapy oils, which not only smell amazing, but are long-lasting. Organic Aromas products are high quality and have a long life. Each diffuser comes with a free one-year parts and service warranty. I've had my diffuser for about five years and it still works perfect. Link is in the description. Hello again and welcome back to the podcast. In 1975, Jim and his wife Naomi were murdered in their home by their 16-year-old daughter and her 20-year-old boyfriend. This case became known as the Barbecue Murders because the bodies were disposed of by burning them in a fire pit at a nearby campground. The case gained worldwide attention because of the perpetrator's ages, the details of the crime, and the wide discrepancy in sentencing between the two. Marlene was born in Norfolk, Virginia on January 15, 1959 to an unwed, unwed teenager. She was adopted as a newborn by middle aged couple James who went by Jim and Naomi. Marlene was their only child. Marlene spent her childhood and her early teens in Ecuador where Jim was a marketing executive. She was very close to her father but had a troubled relationship with her mother who reportedly had alcoholism and a mental illness thought to be schizophrenia. When Marlene was 14, her father lost his job and the family moved back to the United States, settling in Marin County, California, in the city of San Rafael. San Rafael is about 35 minutes north of San Francisco. It has an urban-suburban mix feel to it, and it's been described as the city away from the city. San Rafael has a lot of restaurants, coffee shops, historical landmarks, parks, and hiking trails, and it's surrounded by natural beauty. It is uh, community-oriented, and when walking down the street, people are always welcoming and saying hi. In the 1960s, director George Lucas began filming movies in San Rafael and surrounding areas. Other directors started to film there as well. 
Famous films such as Dirty Harry, Blood Alley, and The Godfather were all filmed in San Rafael or surrounding locations. San Rafael is a thriving community with a lot of history and charm. Jim became a self-employed small business consultant and began spending time, or sorry, spending last time with his daughter as he tried to make his business succeed. Marlene had difficulty adjusting from her relatively sheltered life in Ecuador to the unfamiliar Northern California 1970s teen culture. She developed a stomach ulcer that required prescription medication and soon began to use the pills and other drugs recreationally, and she would socialize with other teen drug users as well. She became interested in glam rock, witchcraft, and prostitution. Apparently, her interest in prostitution came from her repeatedly being called a whore by her mother, Naomi. After moving to the United States, the relationship between Marlene and Naomi worsened, and their arguments erupted into domestic violence. Marlene also started to develop resentment toward her father for siding with her mother when they would get into fights, and Marlene suspected her father of informing police about her friend's drug activities. She shoplifted, stole her parents' credit cards, used and overdosed on drugs, ran away from home, and received stolen goods from burglaries committed by her boyfriend at the time. She talked to several friends about wanting to kill her parents and asked them for help, but the friends either didn't take her seriously or didn't want to get involved. At one point, she attempted to poison her mother by using large doses of prescription drugs and putting them into her mother's food. But the drugs made the food taste bitter and Naomi refused to eat it. When Marlene was 15, she met Charles, who went by Chuck. He was 19. Chuck was born on May the 2nd, 1955 in Marin County. His father, Oscar, was a bakery worker and his mother, Joanne, was a nurse's aide. Chuck lived most, most of his life in Santa Venetia, two and a half kilometers from San Rafael. He was an obese child and by age 15, he weighed over 300 pounds. Before he met Marlene, he never had a girlfriend. He dropped out of school uh, in his senior year and delivered newspapers and pizzas. He worked as a bartender and as a factory worker. He was also a heavy drug user and also dealt drugs both to earn money and to gain social status and popularity. He owned several guns and was a skilled marksman. Chuck was dealing drugs at Marlene's school he developed a crush on Marlene and began to pursue her. Although she was initially put off by his weight, Marlene quickly realized that he could easily be manipulated to do anything that she wished, and they started a relationship. 
Marlene largely controlled the relationship. Whatever she wanted, Chuck would give her. Chuck provided her with free drugs, gifts, and transportation. He would listen to her problems and sometimes helped out with um, sexual and criminal fantasies that she had. She frequently threatened to break up with Chuck unless he did what she wanted. And she told him that she had magical powers to, to control him, which he reportedly believed. He was anxious to please her in order to keep the relationship and twice attempted suicide when she broke up with him. At first, Jim and Naomi approved of their daughter dating Chuck. They found him polite and responsible. Marlene soon began to ask Chuck for help or advice on killing her mother or suggested that he kill both her parents. Marlene suggested that they go on a shoplifting spree. They stole about $6,000 in merchandise from local stores over the next several weeks. Mostly it was women's clothing and accessories. In March 1975, they were caught and arrested for grand larceny. Chuck had no prior history of delinquency as a juvenile, aside from drug dealing, and this was his first adult arrest. In May 1975, Chuck was arrested again for possession of marijuana and for having a sawed-off shotgun. Jim and Naomi were at the end of the rope and threatened their daughter with juvenile hall and planned to send her away to school. They forbid her to see Chuck and this was also included in his probation court order. Jim ordered Chuck to stay away from the house, threatening to kill him if he ever returned. On Saturday, June 21st, 1975, Following another argument with her mother, Marlene phoned Chuck and told him, Get your gun. We've got to kill the bitch today. She arranged to go out with her father, leaving her mother home alone. She left the door unlocked so Chuck could enter and kill her mother. Chuck loaded his 22 caliber revolver and later said that he had taken LSD before going to the house. When he entered the house, Naomi was sleeping. According to Chuck, he struck Naomi many times with a hammer. Then he stabbed her and suffocated her. While Chuck was still in the house, Jim returned. He saw his wife lying on the bed covered in blood. Jim picked up a knife, saw Chuck, and started running toward him. Chuck drew his gun and shot Jim four times killing him. Marlene and Chuck drove to a wooded area nearby called China Camp and tried to dispose of the bodies by burning them in the fire pit with gasoline and logs. It was not a small little campground pit. It was like a huge family type fire pit. Marlene and Chuck left while the fire was still burning. Someone must have located, um, or somebody must have noticed because they called fire rescue 
Fire rescue arrived shortly after to put out the unintended fire, or unattended fire, sorry. And I initially thought that the partially rema burnt remains was a deer carcass. The couple later returned to the park and further burned more of the remains, along with additional evidence. Chuck and Marlene recruited a fence to help clean up the room where the killings had taken place, removing blood from the carpets, walls, and furniture. <clears throat> They confided in their friend and in several other friends that they had killed Marlene's parents. Chuck told friends that we had to do it. They wouldn't let me see her. Marlene and Chuck continued to live together at Marlene's parents' house for several days. They went to a concert, went shopping, ate at restaurants, and paid using cash, checks, and credit cards taken from her dead parents. They planned to wait until, um, for Jim and Naomi to be legally declared dead. Then they would collect the life insurance money and move to Ecuador. After a few days, Jim's business partner became concerned about his absence from work and he contacted police, who visited the house and spoke with Marlene. She provided various alibis for herself and Chuck, which the police later determined were false and she would tell different stories about her parents' disappearance, claiming that one parent had killed the other and then disappeared, or that both parents were killed by the motorcycle club Hell's Angels. Police did a walk around in the house and noticed that a certain room had been recently cleaned. It was pristine in, a, in an otherwise or disorderly household. The friend who had helped clean informed the police about the blood in the room and the couple's statements about killing her parents and burning their bodies. Police went to China Camp and searched for the fire pit and determined that it did contain fragments of burnt human remains. Marlene and Chuck were arrested. After his arrest, Chuck made a de detailed confession in which he said he and Marlene had been planning to kill her parents for some time. He admitted that he had beaten, stabbed, and suffocated Naomi, and then shot Jim, and that Marlene forced him to do it. Marlene claimed that Chuck had killed her parents on his own, and that afterward, he held her hostage and forced her to take drugs. Chuck was 20 at the time of the crime, and he was charged as an adult. He was charged with two counts of first-degree murder and faced the death penalty. Under hypnosis, Chuck recounted part of the initial confession about beating Naomi with the hammer. Under hypnosis, he said, he entered the house and found her lying in bed, bleeding from head wounds and the hammer was still embedded in her head. Chuck implied that Marlene had been using the hammer that morning to repair a platform shoe, and that she fatally beat her mother with the hammer before leaving the house. 
Chuck insisted that he stabbed and suffocated Naomi because she was suffering and she was near death and he was trying to end her misery. He said that he initially confessed to killing Naomi in order to protect Marlene by taking the blame for her actions. Chuck admitted to shooting Jim, but said that he acted out in fear and self-defense because Jim had threatened to kill him. At his trial, Chuck testified under hypnosis about the events of the murder and that he had not beaten Naomi. The jury was not convinced, and they convicted him on two counts of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to death on January 26, 1976. Reporters and those who followed the case thought Chuck did not harbor much anger at Naomi, who he barely knew. Therefore, Chuck would less likely use a method suggesting rage, and he would have just used his loaded gun as the weapon rather than a hammer. And Chuck mentioned that Marlene had previously asked him, how hard she would have to hit Naomi in order to kill her with a hammer. Others noted that Marlene had no blood on her clothing when she left the house and would not have had time to change. Um, They suggest that Chuck used a hammer to avoid alerting neighbors because it made less noise than a gunshot. According to a hypnosis expert, Chuck's revised confession lacked credibility. Marlene continued to maintain that Chuck had beaten and killed her mother in addition to shooting her father and denied that she had any part in the killing of either parent. Marlene was 16 years old at the time of the crime and she was tried as a juvenile rather than an adult. She was repeatedly, or sorry, she was represented by a well-known defense attorney. She was charged with violating Section 602 of the California State Welfare and Institutions Code, which at that time covered any crime committed by a juvenile from petty crimes up to and including murder. The court ruled that she had violated Section 602, stating that she did encourage, instigate, aid, and act as an accomplice in the homicides of her parents. Marlene was sentenced to a term of four to six years confinement at the California Youth Authority. She was to be released on her 21st birthday, unless the Youth Authority determined that she had not been rehabilitated in which case she would be kept in custody until she was 23 years old. In December of 1976, the California Supreme Court ruled that the California death penalty statute was unconstitutional. As a result, California prisoners sentenced to death, including Chuck, could not be executed. Chuck's sentence was changed from death to two concurrent life sentences with the possibility of parole after seven years. While in prison, Chuck lost weight. He received a high school diploma 
and earned the equivalent of a college degree. Chuck applied for parole approximately a dozen times and was denied each time. In 2011, Chuck was 56 and physically disabled. He appealed for his most recent deni denial on the grounds that there was no evidence that he would continue to be a danger to the community, that the parole board did not consider his age, and that his sentence had been unconstitutionally excessive. Chuck won the new court-ordered parole hearing, and the parole board found him suitable for release and granted parole. On February 6, 2015, the parole board's decision was reversed by California Governor Jerry Brown, who explained that although Chuck professes to accept some responsibility, he continues to downplay his role in this crime until he is able to come to terms with his role in this horrendous double murder. I do not believe he will be able to avoid violent behavior if released. Chuck appealed the governor's reversal of the parole board's decision. On December 3rd, 2015, the California Court of Appeal for the First District vacated the governor's re reversal and reinstated Chuck's grants of parole, stating, we cannot affirm the governor's decision because the premise of his conclusion that Chuck failed to come to terms with his role and that double murder is unsupported by any evidence. There being no evidence on the record that Chuck continues to downplay his role for the crime, the governor's decision cannot stand. Following the court's directive, the parole board's annual report released in January 2016 showed Chuck as having been deemed suitable for release and granted parole as of December 8, 2015. Marlene began serving a sentence at the California Youth Authority and was later allowed to serve part of her time living outside with a young woman who had been a juvenile services volunteer. A few weeks before she was due to be paroled, she escaped and fled to New York City, where she worked as a sex worker. She was eventually arrested and returned to California to finish her sentence being released in 1980, when she was 21. After being released, she moved to Los Angeles, where she changed her name numerous times and was arrested at least seven times over the next decade um, on forgery and drug-related charges. And she served two one-year terms in jail. <clears throat> In 1986, she was arrested in Los Angeles along with 13 other people for allegedly operating a large counterfeiting and forgery ring. People expressed thoughts that she was the ringleader. She was convicted and sentenced to five years in prison. She served additional prison terms in California after making a 1992 conviction for making a false financial statement and a 1995 conviction for 
possessing a forged driver's license. In 2003, in Kern County, California, she pled guilty to passing a fictitious check in Bakersfield and was sentenced to seven years in prison. In a 1992 article, the Los Angeles Times called her the Queen of the Trashers because she could create false identities based on documents such as white checks, bill invoices, and other things that she found discarded in the garbage. Police said that they rarely come across a street-level forger believed to be as prolific or as skilled as Marlene. Marlene saw Chuck only once when they were arrested for murder. She accompanied an author who was writing a book. They visited Chuck in prison in 1981. At one point during their visit, Chuck asked Marlene what she was thinking about. She said, I was just thinking what had gone down. We just lost our marbles. After the visit, Chuck predicted, I'll never see her again. And he was correct. He never did. Richard M. Levine was the author who accompanied Marlene to see Chuck. He was a feature writer for numerous publications, including the New York Times, Harper's, and Esquire. He reported on the case and in 1982 wrote a true crime book called Bad Blood, a Family Murder in, uh, sorry, Bad Blood, a Family Murder in Marin County which had great reviews and became a bestseller. This case was also discussed in John Goodwin's book, Murder USA, The Ways We Kill Each Other, and has been in several true crime anthologies. The barbecue murders were dramatized for a 2014 episode of the true crime documentary series, Killer Kids, titled Please, Kill For Me, Season 3, Episode 12. No one really knows who actually murdered Naomi, and we probably will never find out. I'm not condoning what he did, but I do believe that actions speak louder than words, and the fact that Marlene led a life of crime during and after her time at California Youth Authority showed me, me a lot. I think that she should have done actual prison time and served a full sentence. Um, Marlene's current whereabouts are unknown. Thank you for listening.